right, welcome guys to um, another episode of Nuance and Nonsense. We are here today with my friend TJ Ragsdale, aka Ragsdale Health. Um, I met TJ in college. He's always been into health and fitness stuff and kind of trying out alternative methods. I mean, he was the first person I ever heard talking about a cold shower, you know, years ago. Um, and he is a former real estate bond trader turned holistic health trainer. And so he recently founded his health and fitness practice, Ragsdale Health, um, in a three-month stint in Istanbul right after he quit his finance job. He currently resides between the Hudson Valley and Philadelphia, where he is a full-time training client. So welcome, TJ. Thanks for being on our podcast. I'm super excited to talk with you. I, When we were visiting some of, I think it was like when we were with Chris, they were talking about your you living in Turkey. And so I started like creeping you on Instagram and I was like, wow, this is so cool. Like um, how you wanted to, how you just kind of spontaneously decided to stay there for a while. Um, so I can't wait to hear more about that. Um, we're going to start out with a few just like fun icebreaker questions, like just random funny um, questions um, because we kind of, on our podcast, we talk about fashion, tech, health, pop culture, music, and like self-help um, psychology. And I'm sure we'll focus on health more for this podcast since that's really your expertise. Um, but with fashion, um, my pop question I like to ask people is like, how would you describe your style? What is a typical like casual day what you would wear and what's a typical more dressed up day for you? Um, I would say I lean very far away from casual. So I think even on a casual day, I'm in a turtleneck. Today's a casual day. Um, yeah, that Steve Jobs look going on today. <laughs> yeah, some, something like that. Something like that. But he always had he always had the black. I like to uh, experiment a little with my turtlenecks. I just think the turtleneck makes everyone look better. I think it should enter the vernacular. Um, but anyway, the, the, the formal day is, uh, you know, I retired from the suit life, but, um, I still do love wearing a suit. So sometimes I'll just go out, go out to dinner, pop on a suit and tie. Uh, so I'd say like, I'm, uh, I'm, a, I'm, I'm on the smarter side of dressing. I like to look good. I saw in one of your videos, you were wearing a fancy like fur coat. Oh yeah. I actually just had the fur on. I just filmed a video and oh, you, you, probably, you probably saw that video this morning. Yeah. The yeah the the sunrise chat about sleep I think it was yeah, yeah I just I just yeah. put I just popped that up I I was actually up at uh, three thirty this morning because I'm on damn Istanbul time <laughs> so it was easy easy to film yeah. <laughs> um our net my next pop question is um well usually I ask like what's your favorite app that you use or your favorite technology but since you're into health what's your favorite app that you think has helped you with your health? Or um, it'd be like a hardware. Or well. it can like, be like a device. Well. device. Yeah. 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 I, was, I was actually just going to say, um, I think it's got to be the Apple watch. Um, I, th I think we'll get into it later. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just crucial, you know, um, I actually wish it went deeper on a whole bunch of stuff, but uh, the Apple Watch I'm looking at regularly. Um, I'm tracking my my resting heart rate, my heart rate variability. Um, you know, I like to have a log of kind of my exercise, whether it's miles walked or 
particular exercise data. Uh, I think this is stuff in hindsight, like having all this data. I mean, it's a double-edged sword, but um, I think going forward, like if you're someone who's active and you have history of that activity, you're going to have a leg up when it comes to like things like dynamic health insurance pricing going forward. So definitely that will that's a really good point. I haven't even thought about that. Yeah. Yeah. And the new watch, Sam talked about it on a podcast, um, is going to like measure your glucose or something. Oh, it has, uh, it's like, it, I think it has a blood oximeter meter or something. Really? It had Big something, things coming. I don't think it has the glucose, but we, we were talking about that recently, me and Chris, the, the continuous glucose monitor. That, that's that's going to be sweet. I bet one day they'll have that just built right in. I think it has to like go in your skin though, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's stats. Stats. Every time you put on the watch, you um, Our next pop question is in health. Um, what is a typical workout day routine for you mm. and meals? Um, for the workout, I don't know if I have a typical, like I have stuff I tend towards. But um, it really depends where I am. Like when I was in Istanbul, um, like the gyms were pretty cheap. So, you know, on heavy weight days, I would go in, I would do deadlifts, squats, chest press. Um, but now that I'm up here, like I'm upstate, like I'm pretty isolated. I'm not going to drive 25 minutes to get to the gym. It's just like, that seems like sort of excessive to me. So here I'll just, you know, do sprints on the driveway. Um, bike up the hills, do pull-ups on the pull-up bar we built, um, and hit the sauna that we built also. Um, but like my exercise stuff, it tends towards, um, low duration, super high intensity stuff. Um, I don't do any of kind of like the moderate duration, moderate intensity stuff. I don't jog at all. Um, I don't do slow biking. It's either like I'm walking on the side of the barbell or, you know, I'm sprinting or throwing around kettlebells on the side. Um, and for, for eating, um, it's very high in animal protein, animal fat, uh, green vegetables, and pretty low on just sugar across the board. And like, I'm pretty strict about that. Like I include fruits in that, like, it, you know, eating fruit never made anyone fat, but it is pretty high in sugar. And so obviously no, no carbs either. Uh, I'll fast the mornings all the time. And then, um, as Sam knows I'll do sort of periodic fasting every once in a while, whether it's like two days or three days and um, never done longer than that. But, but I would like to, I think I need a, I think I need a comrade in misery to, to go past three days though. <laughs> Have you ever tried the keto diet? Your diet sounds pretty sounds keto good. besides the fruit. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think, uh, I think my diet effectively aligns with, with keto principles pretty tightly. Um, I think maybe the place where it deviates slightly is maybe in the fats category. I think keto people like they eat a shitload of fat. Um, I don't think I eat that much fat. I think I just eat more, more protein. Um, but I think keto is great for people. Um, it's like, it's sort of like a tribe. It's like a funny little tribe or a big tribe now, you know, the yeah. keto people. <laughs> um, and I think it really just describes like keto just describes like, you know, basic ancestral eating principles um mm. but whatever people want to call it if it gets them to stop eating sugars then i'm all for it yeah i um i do i'm not super strict about my keto but it's sort of keto like i don't measure my fat or anything but i eat a lot of bacon and 
chicken wings. And <laughs> <laughs> that sounds that sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's, <laughs> it's pretty yummy. I'm, it takes away the McDonald's cravings. Like I used to just go and pound a Big Mac meal, and get a McFlurry. So you know, it's 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 tough where you are. St. Louis has got some fantastic fast food. It does. It does. Um, my next question is a really funny one, which may embarrass you, but if you could be, <laughs> Chris had troubles <laughs> answering this one. If you and just try to like the first woman that comes to mind celebrity <laughs> who would you date if you could be with any celebrity Ooh, um that's a great question it's so um uh, i can't remember i can't remember her name um, <laughs> that's a bad start <laughs> I, I can't remember i can't remember her name she was an episode of this uh design show on netflix uh, you guys have probably would have known of her. Uh, she's the wife of Bill Ackman, who's an activist hedge fund manager. Um, she's got like she's got like multiple uh, master's degrees and a PhD, and she sort of works like in the space that combines like biological growth and architecture, which is to say, like she designs structures through the way that um, natural organisms grow, which is kind of at the intersection of those two. Uh, she's just like she's a you know she's a robber baron of her industry and for someone to match like bill ackman's energy and enthusiasm and contrarianism like you need a huge personality not to mention she's absolutely gorgeous um her name um karen ann herkovitz no, it's Bill Ackman's recent recent wife. Uh, Nary, she's, Nary oxman yes that's her that's her that's her she's unbelievable Good answer. So you like a woman that's well-read and smart? Yeah, I mean, I, I want someone who can who can challenge me and call me out on, on the endless bullshit that I spew. <laughs> <laughs> um, music. What's your all-time favorite song? Oh, Jesus! One of, one of your favorite songs. I don't. I don't think I have an, an all-time favorite song, um, but I really, really enjoy. Um, Dave Brubeck's Take Five. I've never heard that. Song. You check it out. Have to listen. Um, what has been one of your favorite self-help books, or mo- it doesn't, or philosophy books? Um, anything that kind of changed your the perspective of your life? Mm. What's a good book? Uh, I think anything. Well, maybe not anything because I haven't read all of it, but, uh, stoic philosophy broadly. Um, I started with Epictetus, which I think is opposite to most people. Most people went Marcus Aurelius to Epictetus. Um, but the idea of stoic philosophy really, really changed my life. Um, when I was younger, like, like Sam will remember, like I was sort of like, not eclectic, but sort of just like a pariah in college. I kind of just did what I wanted and acted like I didn't care what anyone thought. But really, I did care what, about what everyone thought. But it was sort of just the shell I built. Um, and now I'm not kind of that same person. I do those same things, but I'm genuinely comfortable uh, in my skin. And the stoic philosophy that kind of uh, enabled that transition um, from like a, an artificial place to a genuine place Um was kind of like, you know, you need to just do your own thing and not worry about the perception of the world because you can't control any of those things. And 
if you lead a life where uh, you focus doggedly on things you can control um, and you ignore doggedly the things you can't control, uh, you're going to be generally happy. You're going to be doing the best you can. You're going to feel like you have impact control over the fate and the trajectory of your own life. Um, I think a lot of like, you know, the, the misery that people have today is um, integrating too much what they can't control into how they feel about themselves. So um, it's a little bit, I think, of a simplistic answer, but still our philosophy is very important. For me. Wow, that was, that was really well said. Yeah. I've only read um, Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. Like, like you said, it's kind of usually people's intro. So I need to check out, how do you say his name? Epic, Epicutus, Epictetus? Epictetus. And I think Epictetus actually, I think he, I think he taught Marcus Aurelius. I could be wrong. There's some connection there. I think it's kind of, it's interesting. I feel like stoicism is having like a, like a resurgence right now or something, you know, um, like it's having kind of a moment in pop culture. Like I hear a lot of people that I listen to their podcasts. I hear a lot of people talking about it, but that's, uh, that was really well said. Yeah. I heard Chris yeah. Williamson. Yeah. Chris Williamson it. was talking about it. And then like a couple of these guys I follow who are like power lifters and fitness guys I've heard talking about it too. Interesting. I wonder if it's uh sorry, go ahead. I really like how you worded that um, focusing on what you can control and not focusing on what you can't, because I think most of us have that messed up. <laughs> like, yeah. I think that's why when you meet people that work out, they tend to be happier during their day because it's like, they're at least they did the one thing that they can't control in the morning. Absolutely. Oh, they I got can't. their focus off of can't some of more. these other things. Absolutely. I think also that's like, that's, that's a fantastic point. Like, you know, people get in kind of these vortexes, like whether it's anxiety or depression. Um, and like, that is one of the things you can't control, right? Like the least you can do for yourself to give yourself a fighting chance is just find a way to be active for 30 minutes a day, every day. Like if you continue to be stuck in the hole, um, you know, there's a variety of other things you have to work out. But the bedrock that you can provide to yourself is just, you know, get some endorphins going. Like an endorphin is, it's a natural chemical that the body has, has produced to keep you out of the deaths. You know, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta yeah. produce it. Yeah, man. That's, yeah. And um, I was going to say something I forgot. Oh yeah. I, I feel like I've talked about it on, on a, maybe we talked about it on another podcast, but I had this realization, like, you know, unfortunately not it wasn't that long ago that I realized this but um you know and I think it's kind of stoic but like I used to grow up and I'm sure you could relate just being a, a male I mean females probably relate too but that I like if somebody disrespected me that I had to like you know make them sorry for it right like like I had to it's kind of like a macho like oh like I'm gonna show him right like he cut me off on the road well I'm gonna fucking cut him off and flip him off and show him he's an idiot <laughs> <laughs> like in, just in every aspect of life like Revenge. I remember guys DMing Shaney when we first started dating or guys like being all thirsty in her DMs and I'm like oh they're disrespecting me like you know and I could get angry about it and and I realized like it's funny because I used to think that that was like tough right it's like oh I have to get revenge on this guy or I have to show him but it's actually like so weak because you know I think part of stoic philosophy is like that you you have that emotion but you don't have to act on that emotion like you can sit with the emotion and just you know um and i and i realize like that's actually actual strength it's like 
somebody walks by me on the road and spits at me and says like, fuck you. It's like, I can just go, all right. And just keep walking and, and be on the, th- like you said, the things I can control, you know, like my, my goal today wasn't to, to knock out this guy on, you know, on my dog walk. My goal was what, you know, X, Y, and Z. And the strength is, well, whatever anyone else does to me, I'm going to still do the things I can control. So, um, I don't know. I love that. And, um, glad you said that. So I'm just learning to laugh at people that are, <laughs> that are too, like they're trying to control everything. And if you just learn to laugh at them instead of like having that reaction, I feel like it brings you so much more joy. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I think, I think that's absolutely critical. I mean, if you can get to a point where, you know, any slight or any barb that's been thrown in your direction, you can just shrug off. Like that's just, that's, that's, that's Kevlar. I mean, you're invincible, you know, Not, if, if you're focusing on the things you can control and I mean, that, that's, it's, that is still a philosophy, right? You can only take offense. Offense can't be given to you. Like people can throw shit at you all day, but if none of it sticks, but all just slides off. Like you're just cruising through life. You focus on what you can, your relationships, you know, building things you're passionate about. I mean, I was the same when I was younger. I mean, I still sort of have some of that, just like this, like arbitrary machismo, you know I mean? Yeah. And you, you gotta, you gotta realize that you gotta use that machismo and you, you gotta define being a man uh, by the important things, you know, virtue, looking after those you love, providing for those you love, uh, being ethical and like leave all of the negative externalities in the trash. Right. Right. And I mean, we could even, I don't know if we want to go down this rabbit hole, but I was talking with Shaney about it last night about this idea of like toxic masculinity. And to me, that's not masculinity. It's just toxic behavior. It's just toxic attitudes. I also don't think it's like specific to men, in my opinion. There's this girl that made this video (laughs) and she's like, like a TikTok and it has these like words coming up and she's like, stop uplifting toxic men <laughs> well it said toxic white men toxic white men specifically um, um, which I was funny, but, but she didn't like say what she was talking about like you know there was no description of what is a toxic right, white man me, bro, I just went on a and it was just kind of like a thing <laughs> she was doing for like cloud or attention or whatever um which yes there are many toxic white men out there but I'm like what are like what specific event are you talking about because this video is not really helping anyone it seems yeah. like but well it's just it. you know it's just the institution of toxic white masculinity <laughs> as we all know um but it's like what you are talking about right now I think is so much more helpful like we can talk about like go and shame toxic people but if we don't talk about how to be a better person then there's really not going to be any change you know um no so i really like you know what you're talking about um Um, and so i kind of want to switch pace and hop into some of the questions i had so um can you kind of give us a a little bit on your background so you you grew up in new york right um can you just kind of tell us a little bit about, you know, what briefly what, what your childhood was like? Um, were there any signs of, I mean, I know you're, you're a big, you know, really getting into soccer back then. And can you kind of just talk about, you know, how maybe some of that informed, uh, you know, what you're doing now? 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, so I grew up in suburbs of New York. I went to public school for a bit. Uh, both my siblings were in private school from when I was young. I ultimately switched over. I went to a very, very progressive private school, um, which kind of shaped a lot of who I am today, which is say I sort of backlashed against that progressivism. Um, but yeah, I played soccer all my life. Um, it was my activity. It sort of, you know, shaped my personality. Uh, went to WashU where I met this gentleman. Um, and I actually got into school for soccer, but never showed up. Um, I kind of lost the, um, the passion for soccer. And um, anyway, I think sort of kind of this fitness and health um, obsession in a way filled that void, but it was really sort of curiosity and learning that filled that void. Um, it was sort of a, a, another competitive domain where I wasn't necessarily competing with others in an unhealthy way. I was just competing kind of with who I was last week and, and keep learning, keep learning, keep learning. Um, and anyway, then I graduated and um, I wanted to, thought I wanted to be in, in finance. Uh, so I went and traded real estate bonds for a bit, which I really liked. Um, I actually love finance at, at my core. I love finding investments that other people have not. Um, but I just hated all the dogma uh, of kind of that world and, and the hierarchy. Um, so yeah, so recently quit beginning of COVID and, you know, fled to Turkey and then, uh, left on the 89th day of my 90 day visa and I'm back. <laughs> nice. And so, uh, did you, but you intended to go somewhere else, right? And then you had to, you had to quarantine in Turkey. Is that? So, yeah. So I thought back then that I wanted to work in venture capital. Um, so the plan was, you know, I was, I was getting so pissed with, you know, governments and regulations telling us where we could and couldn't go. Like everyone was saying, I just want to wait for everything to be clear. And I was like, you know, fuck this. Like I'm 25. Like I'm not going to wait a year for the world to make itself certain. Like I'm just going to go and work this out. And so I was going to plan to go to Turkey, quarantine there for two weeks and then find a way to just slither through the Euro border. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, uh, but that didn't really happen because like Europe locked down again. And then I sort of fell in love with this one bowl and, and then I realized I wanted to do Ragsdale Health. So I founded that business um, and started training clients in Istanbul on the ground, had a variety of clients, you know, met some friends and sort of dug in a bit. Um, but then when I, when I founded the business, I realized that, um, uh, you know, Turkey is not the place that an American necessarily wants to build out a business. It's certainly possible. But, um, you know, the currency is, is shitting itself. Um, you know, people are losing purchasing power. I don't speak their language. Uh, their financial infrastructure is not nearly as, uh, you know, beneficial as ours might be. So, you know, I had to put my business hat on. And, and so I came back to, to do business here. Cool. Cool. Um, and then did you, was it, was it something in the back of your mind to create, you know, to create this Ragsdale Health business? Or um, did, it, did it just kind of click into place while you were over in Europe? Well, to be honest, dude, um, I kind of just started doing training as like good passive income to kind of just float me, keep me like cash flow neutral in Turkey. Because mm -hmm. um, it's been something I've been like obsessed with for a while. Um, and I was just like, you know, I, I know above average about this. And, you know, there's minimal capital cost up front to starting a training business. I just have to convince someone to you know, buy into my system and then I can show them tangible results. It seems like a win-win. Um, but as soon as I started doing it, I like, absolutely loved it. Like I love to see people progress. Like 
It's an absolute biohack. Just the base level. Exercise is a biohack. Like it transforms your life. And like people claim that they know that, uh, but they don't or else they would embody it. Everyone would exercise. Um, so you're kind of seeing people improve tangibly day in, day out um, in combination with the fact that this has always been a passion. I kind of just like collided. Um, I was like, why don't I just do this and build this out? Um, a health business and, and kind of see where it goes. So um, that's that's kind of where I'm at. Amazing. That's, that's really awesome. cool. Um, why should we or why should Americans or why should people uh, be concerned with our health? Um, that's a good question. Why should we be concerned? I mean, I know, I guess it gets down to like, you know, why, why, you know, what is an enriching life for people? I think like, you know, we're here on this earth, we're sapient beings, um, we're allowed to have consciousness and, you know, evaluate ourselves from the third person. We have like all these human elements, uh, which makes life enjoyable, but also very complicated. Um, but I think ultimately most people want to have a happy enriching life and, um, you know, our genes are very old. Our genes are used to an environment where we moved and we moved a lot and we, you know, ate organic foods and we fasted and we got exposed to cold temperatures. Um, and now we, we live in this great modern environment with all these pleasures, but we still have those old genes. And so you ought to exercise uh, because the body was constructed in a way whereby if you don't exercise, you're probably not going to be happy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and um, this is kind of a depressing statistic, but suicide is so much more common in um, countries like the U.S. that are, what would you call that, civilized? Like very... Like first world where countries? The, yeah, first world countries. Have countries with um, less poor and starving people, and you wouldn't think that. Um, so I think that says a lot about what truly makes us happy is not necessarily success and these phones in our pocket that we're all addicted to and that like a more simpler life, um, maybe even like hunting our own food would make us happier. Like I, for sure. These things that we don't really, that we think are in a lot of people think are awful now to do. Um, so it really makes you rethink like everything that we prioritize when you like hear about these statistics and, and just see all the unhappy people. And I mean, a lot of us go through that ourselves. Like most people have dealt with depression of some sort. So, um, yeah, I think that like really puts in perspective, like why health is so important. And also what you were saying about helping clients, and just implementing exercise and seeing their like life change. I remember I was a, um, I was a personal trainer for a little period of my life and nice. at a club fitness and I helped this, he was a genius. He was like a tech, um, genius who had like, I remember he was interviewing at Google. So that kind of puts into perspective that he's, because, you, you know, they only interview like the best candidates. Um, of course. 
and he played the harp and he had really bad back pain because, you know, he's on his computer all day. He's playing the harp all day. And we started, um, I started implementing like back more back exercises because I could tell his chest was really strong and tight. He had been working his chest a bunch, but not working his back at all. And within literally one to two weeks, his back pain resolved and he could play the harp um, without pain. And so just like that little change in someone like is like that can change their life. You know, they're out yeah. of pain. And that's really I'm sure you've seen things like that happen. Um, so I think that's another reason health is so important. Yeah. Yeah. It's such, I think it's like universal <clears throat> that everyone wants a healthy body, you know, healthy mind. Uh, I, mean, I also think that like on that note, like everyone does want to help. Like everyone wants a really cut body, right? Like, I think that's one of like the, the tricky things about exercise. Like a lot of people's motivations is, very, are, is pretty vapid. Yeah. Uh, you know, they want to just look good, but like, I kind of view that in the same lens as I view philanthropy, right? Like whether or not your motives are, virtuous and selfless or um you know your motives are to make yourself feel good the philanthropy is still happening a result is still is still happening in the world right like someone is getting you know whether the philanthropy you're giving to is effective or not like someone is getting money a good thing is happening in the world so whether your motivation for exercise is like you know to have a six-pack that you can flex on instagram or to like live a really long time so you can spend time with your grandkids, like the good thing is still happening. Right. So, you know, for a lot of people, like I, like I say, in my, in my scope of, of practice, like, you know, a lot of clients have aesthetic goals and I don't have a problem with that. Uh, it's not my role to judge your goals. And if you look good, it's probably a proxy for good health. It's not easy. Certainly. Yeah. I love that comparison. And, um, so actually, this was my next question is kind of in line with that. What uh, what are good markers of health? Um, and I mean, there's a lot. I mean, we talked about the Apple Watch and all the metrics it can give you um, when you're when you're looking at, you know, your own health or maybe a client's health. What are some uh, what are some things you look at? Yeah, man. So I think they're like obvious, you know, obvious markers of health that like, we can see with our own eyes. Like y- you don't want to be obese, you know, um, that's a problem. Um, you know, there's this, there's this body, uh, I don't know, but, you know, all bodies are equal movement happening, which is fine, uh, I guess. Um, but it's, it's unhealthy to me. Like you, you can't, you can't be morbidly obese and, and be healthy. There's, there's, there's no, there's no new, you know, we're on nuance and nonsense. That nuance doesn't exist. There's no nuance there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, another, uh, you know, a little bit more maybe empirical, um, marker of health that I really like to look at um, is resting heart rate. You know, we both have our Apple watches. Uh, that's a hard one to cheat, right? And it's an easy one to gauge. Like if on a weekly basis, you have a resting heart rate, that's, you know, 80 to 90, like you'll probably have a disease. Whereas if you have like 45 to you know 60, that's a pretty healthy marker. That indicates that you have strong muscle mass, um, you know, your heart's not working that hard to, you know, keep your resting metabolism, um, and that you're generally pretty healthy. There's this, um, there's this hedge fund manager who is also a doctor. Um, and he talks about like, 
homeostatic capacity, like your body's ability to take a stressful state and resume to uh, homeostasis. And like, if you constantly are forcing your body through stressful states, it adjusts very quickly. The body is antifragile. It's built for that stuff. So if like you're forcing it up to like 185 beats per minute, like in, in a minute, like on a sprint, um, it's going to take your resting heart rate very, very, very low to respond to that stress. It's, it's interesting. Uh, yeah. It makes sense. I didn't, I didn't really know about that. Um, I had a question. Yeah. Um, so I was watching your video about sleep and I really liked what you were saying about some of these, um, some of the most, you mentioned a few, I can't remember the names, successful people that thought out of the box scientists and things, they would nap a lot. Mm -hmm. And so do you think that, and you talk about like the really, like this thing that no one, like our culture tells us that napping and sleeping long is almost bad. And that it's, you almost brag when you're like, yeah, I was working so hard. I only got four hours of sleep. I only sleep about four hours because I work so much. Um, and uh, you, you just talk about like, we should all be sleeping more pretty much. And you went through some of the reasons why. Do you think that we should all be like napping more? Do you take cat naps? So I don't nap. Um, I think, so there's so many like extremes of what I read about on a day-to-day basis. Um, or I should say like domains that are super specific that I think there's a, a lack of consensus on. Napping is a really tough one. Um, I try to stay up to date um, on uh, kind of like the, the cutting edge beliefs on the efficacy of napping. Some people, they nap naturally. Others, they can't nap at all. I find myself on the can't nap at all part of the spectrum. Um, but a lot of people swear by like a post-lunch nap. I mean, historically, it's been, you know, patrician to take a siesta. So there's definitely something there. I think it depends, honestly, on the genes you've inherited. Um, like the scientists that I mentioned in the video, Mendeleev, who, you know, made the periodic table of elements and Edison, um, they were, uh, you know, uh, leveraging the very peculiar nature of dream sleep because it engages the subconscious. And while you're, if you can, if you can access your dreams, you're, you're effectively able in a way to access your subconscious, which I think is like a very small, like esoteric uh, realm of napping. I don't think, honestly, the science is good enough to say if you should or shouldn't be napping. I mean, I would think that you should probably just get all your sleep in one go while it's dark out. That seems most logical to me. Did he um, just take 20 minute naps? Yeah. I mean, Edison's naps were, were very short and he would, he would deliberately interrupt them uh, by having ball bearings in his hand. So like after a little bit of sleep, the ball bearings would fall out and force himself up. Like he didn't want, he didn't want his naps to extend from like the beginning phase of sleep, which is REM or dream sleep into dream sleep. He wanted to always stop. I mean, into deep sleep. He wanted to always stop for deep sleep and like whatever he was dreaming about, it probably would have reflected whatever problem he was working on at the time. And so he would wake up immediately and he'd try to access everything in that dream. I mean, it was incredibly dialed. And that was unbelievable. I can take, like 10 to 20 minute naps during lunch break. I went really? to lunch break. I can just go in, take the nap, make myself wake up and go outside, walk my dog, and then like get back into work. 
And I feel like it really does. If you can get past the, like the grogginess you feel for about 10 minutes and like make yourself get outside and um, that it really does help me kind of like refresh and like take some of that stress away that I was having and kind of be able to implement my ideas easier. I mean, I'm, I'm sure that like, that's so foreign to me, but if like the way I see it, like we're going to talk about this later, I'm sure like there's so much scientific shit out there for you to consume, but your body is telling you that this nap works for you. And mm-hmm. so I think you, you got to listen to that. Like your ancestors probably napped as well and it worked for them and now it's working for you. So you're leaning into it. Uh, I think a lot of people should, should try to be more intuitive about what their physical needs are. Like, I feel the complete opposite, like to just take myself out of an active day and go to sleep. Like, uh, you know, maybe it's like a lack of, of calmness of mind, but I'm just not sure. I'm, I don't think I could do that. Um, you know, I like, I like to just be like running, grinding from the time I wake up to the time I go to sleep. And when I go to sleep, I like to just be out for like nine, ever, nine, 10 hours. Do you ever meditate? Yeah, I med- I meditate for sure. Um, but it's, I don't know if, uh, I mean, there's a big gap between sort of the consciousness of meditation and the consciousness of actual sleep. And um, I think I, tr- I have a trouble sleeping, whereas I don't have trouble meditating. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, so you know that I wanted to bring this up and we can kind of jump into that because um, it's something that I think about a lot. You know, sometimes I'll go through these periods where I'm all about the research and I'm on, you know, Google Scholar and I'm trying to read every paper about uh, melatonin supplementation and something recently. Right. And um, and I, you can kind of start to freak yourself out. It, it, sometimes it seems like to me that whatever stance you want to take, you can find data to back it up. And so, yeah, I mean, you brought it up and, and, and I think there's, I don't know, in certain circles, it's like you, you have to have, you know, empirical data and, and uh, you know, controlled trials and, you know, r- randomized controlled trials to, to back up your claims. But sometimes it's like, to me, it, how are you going to tell me that, that by my subjective experience, I'm feeling great doing this that it's wrong, that it's bad for me. You know, sometimes, um, I struggle with that. So it's, um, yeah. What, 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 how do you find a balance between, uh, cause I, cause I know from your videos, I mean, you do bring data into it, but you also bring a lot of, you know, uh, subjective experience into it. How do you find a balance there? Yeah. So I think this can drive people crazy. And I think it does. I think like the like dizzying array of advice and science and what's the right thing to do, uh, just, forces people into inaction, right? They're like, I'd rather just not deal with any of this than do the wrong thing. Um, and I think it can be tricky. Uh, I do try to read um, everything on the cutting edge of the things I'm interested in. Uh, but at a certain point, like the scientific studies are in a way just as dubious as like your anecdotal experience, right? Cause like, so for example, when the food pyramid came out, when I was a kid, I was told to eat like all of these carbs. It's like the most important part of the food pyramid, right? And the reason we had that food pyramid was because there were there was scientific evidence that suggested that we should be eating carbs. But if you look at you know who funded that scientific evidence, it was like a whole bunch of lobbies, right? So it always gets tricky. Um, I would say you should, if you're curious about these things, about the scientific backing, you should lean into books. Um, 
those people that wrote those books, they probably are pretty invested. They have a specific domain they've specialized in that they've committed their lives to. I think that should be where you're consuming from as opposed to like little sound bites or headlines on Reddit or Twitter. Um, for example, my sleep video was, you know, corroborated by Matthew Walker. He's, you know, the expert on sleep. He spends his life on just sleep. Like I would say that should probably, um, outsource my sleep knowledge to someone like that. Now on the other side of the coin, um, you know, with this dizzying array of shit out there to consume, um, you know, I think people can just like be forced into inaction. They're like, you know, I have all of these specific scenarios and situations, whether like we're talking exercise or nutrition or, um, you know, social media or dealing with my relationships. Like I need to know something domain specific about all these scenarios in order to act in all these scenarios. And they're like, I can't keep all this stuff in my mind. I don't have time to collect all of these rules and, um, you know, guidebooks for every single scenario. So what I think you ought to lean into is um, kind of a mental model or a first principle for something like health that across scenarios gives you a blueprint for, for how to act. And what I mean by that is um, I would say what underpins more than anything Ragsdale Health philosophy is this idea of um, ancestral or primal health. If you're in doubt about how to act in a given situation, ask yourself the question, would my ancestors have done this thing or would they have not done this thing? Now, as humans, we live in a new architecture now, right? We don't have to survive. So in a lot of ways, like you don't have to, you know, be, you don't have to succumb to like the determinism of your genes, but we still have the genes, right? We still have the genes and you, you can't be so arrogant as to ignore that. So like, for example, if you're like, what should I eat? What should my diet be? Like, I don't, I don't know. Like these people say fats are bad. These people say carbs are bad. These people say the Mediterranean diet is right. Well, like, look at what your ancestors did. Like pre-agricultural revolution, we didn't eat any carbs. So we probably have genes that carbs are bad for. We ate meats, right? We ate meats and we ate some plants. So you should probably do that thing. Should I exercise or should I not exercise? You should probably exercise. What type of exercise should I do? Should I, you know, get on the Peloton and ride for two hours? Like, you know, did hunter-gatherers have Pelotons at the road for two hours? No, you should probably go sprint or carry some boulders or, you know, climb a tree. Um, so if you use that mental model, I think it can sort of make that horrible chaos uh, a little bit simpler where you don't have to go consume everything in the world and read every study. Just would my ancestors have done this thing? If yes, do. If no, don't do. Yeah. And you don't have to I spend hundreds of dollars every month on getting the right supplement. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Oh. Or the right wrap on your belly to make you lose weight. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. You don't need to do any of that stuff. Like yeah. actually supp the supplementation industry, like, you know, it's become the norm that people just supplement now, just like across the board. Like what supplements should I be taking? Yeah. And I'm just, I'm just like, ah, like maybe this is a good thing, but like, it's probably not. Yeah. You probably, you don't need it. Right. I mean, no. I, yeah. I, I think supplements is like, maybe 1% of what they should be worried about. You know, there's people who are getting five hours of sleep and going, what's the best essential yeah. amino acids? It's like, dude, exactly. you're, kind exactly. of, you know, you're stepping over a hundred dollar bill to pick up a nickel as you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Supplement 
industry is that they're not required to follow like FDA guidelines, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Like tested and stuff. So a lot of times they can like say there's a certain amount of something in there, but they're not like third party testing and making sure. And so a lot of times you may just be fine. You can do the proprietary blend. Yeah. They don't even have to say how much of anything's in there. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like those a yeah. formulas. <laughs> he actually likes the mess. Sometimes yeah. those Bang energy drinks that have like creatine. Oh, Bang! Yeah. Um, I <laughs> this is alleged, but I think I heard in an article that they like tested some, and there was like hardly any creatine at all in it that would actually help you. Yeah, there was. I believe it. I believe it. It was there wasn't enough to be a you know what's a effective dose. Um, so right yeah. there is like something like you can kind of just mark it however you want. You know. I think on that on on that note, like there's another interesting dynamic which, um, like I'm I'm a cynical bastard, so I look for these things all the time. But like with the supplement industry. Like there's a lot of money to be made peddling supplements, right? Like if you convince someone that, I don't know, but creatine is actually, I think on, on the good end of it, but let's take something like, you know, a, like a glycine. If you convince people they need glycine, there's a ton of money to be made, like, especially via social media channels, like you can, you can make bank. So if you're looking at like a recommendation, a health recommendation, look behind it to see what the monetary incentives are for who. This is why fasting has not entered the vernacular because no one can make money from people eating less things. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And less often. Right. Yeah. No, there's no money to be made there. So like no Except one. Except me. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm so dumb that I bought an ebook for fasting. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's actually, that's actually good. At least, it yeah, actually was um, the lady who. I actually thought it was good. I the mean. lady who had it, um, has her like master's in nutrition and it was a very well done book. It had all these like recipes and I had to do like a seven day detox to kind of like prepare myself pretty much get all the sugars out of my system and so she had like, but it wasn't like a it wasn't like one of these detox like it was just eating a whole food balanced diet leading up to beginning your fast yeah she wasn't making me it take like, like diarrhea supplements your diarrhea or something. Tea. yeah <laughs> it's funny it's it's funny how that's called detox now yeah yeah, yeah. um so oh yeah i was going to ask about um you kind of you kind of spoke about your diet doing a, it sounds like a you know a lower carb whole food diet um, not necessarily, not, not necessarily like shooting for ketosis all the time, maybe having a higher protein intake, um, and, uh, you know, with, and, and vegetables and stuff. But I wanted to ask about, uh, what about with, what about with fasting? Um, I think, I think you kind of touched on it. Are you, are you doing like an intermittent fasting thing every day? And how often are you doing, you know, um, prolonged fasts? Yeah. So I intermittent fast pretty much, uh, every day to varying degrees. Um, my body's just so used to it, um, that it's nice to not have to think about the institution of food and beverage until like two. Um, it's also like, you know, realistically I'm as vapid as anyone else that helps me, you know, stay pretty fit. Um, but I actually think that that aspect of fasting, like pales in importance to periodic fasting. Periodic fasting to me is like anything, you know, 36 hours or beyond. Um, like if you're doing 36, 48, you know, three day, 48 hour, three day fasts, um, you do get to the point where, 
you know, your body is relying on its own fat storage for energy. Um, and once you get to that stage, um, the body prompts this cellular recycling process called autophagy, where basically senescent cells, like the older fellows that are just hanging around because you're feeding them glucose on such a regular basis, they die and they die real quick. And the biomatter gets recycled and rechanneled into the younger lads who are going to help you operate more effectively. That, that does not happen. And it will not happen if you're routinely feeding yourself. This is like, this is a bodily process that's been, you know, refined over millions of years that our bodies have internally that the vast majority of people are not unleashing. So I do periodic fast. Uh, you know, it's either three days once a month, um, or two days every two weeks. I think that's where the true beauty of fasting comes in. Um, again, I don't think, I think your motivations for fasting are largely secondary, whether you just want to stay fit or whether you're trying to access the cellular recycling. If you do it well, you're still getting the end product. Um, but I hope as kind of we continue, uh, the fasting vernacular shifts from intermittent fasting for weight loss to like periodic fasting for, um, for autophagy and, and, and for, and for longevity, it's, it's anti-aging if you do it more seriously. Yeah. There's some research too. I mean, I don't think they're sure of it yet, but there's some research that points to the autophagy can help like with the, cause essentially isn't that kind of what cancer is, is all of these like dead cells that aren't doing anything. And then, so autophagy can, they're thinking at least in rats, it like helps like, um, get rid of these cells that are like not working. Yeah. I think that's right on. I mean, the cancer at its core is like uncontrolled cell multiplication, but the cells have, they have mutated right? They have mutated to an extent. And so if the body is carrying out a process where it's cleaning out unwanted cells, I can imagine a scenario where those cancer cells are nipped in the butt. On top of that, cancer feeds on glucose. And so if you're at the autophagic stage already, you're at the stage where there's no blood glucose left, right? And so if there's no blood glucose left, then I don't know what cancer is feeding on at that point. I mean, I, you know, I don't know anything about that realm, but I do know that cancer needs sugar to proliferate. That's really interesting. And um, can you speak to kind of your process of fasting? Do you um, do you consume coffee, water, electrolytes, bone broth? I know there's a lot of, you know, some people, um, and you, you talked about this in your video, you know, it doesn't even necessarily have to be absolutely no food or beverage. Yeah, exactly. Consume a little bit of fat, maybe even. Um, yeah. Can you kind of speak to what your process looks like going into a fast? Yeah, I think you kind of said it. I don't think there's much more to say beyond that. I'm not like really that strict about the fast. Um, The strict part is like no sugar is allowed in the bikes for that fast. Like have some espresso, have some creatine, you know, tea, have a little bit of protein, have a little bit of fats. Like the point is to be like at a notable caloric deficit with no glucose for a prolonged period. So that's what I try to reflect. Um, and like, there, there are some really good times for fast. For example, like I flew back from Istanbul yesterday and like airplane and airport food is an absolute nightmare for the human body. Like, it's just like filled with, filled with preservatives, processed food. Like God knows how long it's been in the icebox. So that's just like a great time to throw in a fast. Like I just fasted for 36 hours through my flight, you know? Yeah. Um, so I try to like find natural 
you know, points in the week where it sort of fits. Like if you got a big dinner on Friday, like with like your mom and dad, like <laughs> you probably shouldn't, you probably shouldn't just like sit there and stare at them while you're fasting. Right. <laughs> so like yeah. maybe Wednesday, Thursday, you fast and then Friday, you, you know, you come back for the feeding. Um, yeah, yeah I, just, I just try to make sure to do it on a daily basis. Like you, you can see yourself getting complacent too. If like you're eating regularly and then you try to go into a fast, Oh God, I really wish I could just like have a burrito right now. So if you're doing it more regularly, it's not such a shock to the system. That takes some real strength to fast during flying because I can, I fast often. And when I fly, I'm just like, give me anything to make me feel better because I'm sick of it. Funny story, actually. So when we flew to California recently, I, I was, I was thinking, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to fast. Right. And so, um, we stopped in, uh, I think it was, uh, Houston or uh, Dallas Fort Worth airport. Right. And Shaney got some like keto stuff, burger. And I, and I got some sparkling water and a large black coffee. And I brought, um, potassium chloride and, and, uh, some iodized sea salt. And so first of all, they stopped me in the airport and they, they (laughs) took like 20 minutes and they like checked, they put the powder out and we're doing all these checks on it. They thought I brought like you know, kilo Coke with me right in my backpack. They saw Sam's tattoos and his skateboard yeah, I mean, yeah, on the plane and they're like, we like, got oh, this guy. I was like, oh, man, I don't, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's done. I don't drink, dude, you know, but so that happened. And then uh, <laughs> we were on the plane and um, I opened one of these fresh, <laughs> one of these fresh uh, sparkling waters, Topo Chico. I don't know if you ever had it, but and I started pouring a little bit of salt in it, and that motherfucker just shot up <laughs> so much. Started spraying all over the plane. Shit, it was funny. Man. That's absurd. It, like a, do you take electrolytes when you fast ever? I, salt and potassium, I, magnesium. I do the salt, but that's about all I do. Um, I gotta look. I gotta look more into the electrolyte while fasting realm. Um, but yeah, I do, I do the salt. So Sam, what do you what do you find kind of the the difference between fasting on and off the electrolytes is? So um, so when I did this recent one, I, I you know I tried to go for a hundred hours because it sounded good, but I ended up making it about seventy, so about three days. Um, there there was points in that where I was having like like heart palpitations and feeling like extremely low energy, like and you know really it wasn't even like I was feeling hungry, but I was like, something is up with my body right now. And I need, I need to eat something. Um, and when I would do the, when I, you know, this would happen a couple of the mornings. And when I did the electrolytes, it like completely went away and I felt fine. Um, and so I know, and, and Shaney and I will sometimes, if we do like a one meal a day thing, or even just for, you know, a traditional 16, eight or 18, six, uh, intermittent fasting, we'll sometimes do the electrolytes in the morning. And, you know, I'm going to sound stupid here, but there's something to do with potassium specifically. Um, it, I think it binds to the same like receptors as glucose. So it, it actually can like in this really, it almost feels magical way, um, curb hunger mm. when you're fasting. So the first, so I, it wasn't that long ago, the first time I ever tried it. Um, and I did a little bit of salt and then this potassium chloride stuff in a, in a drink and I drank it and I felt like, rejuvenated in almost instantly, you know, um, it's, wow. it can make a pretty big difference to me. I notice a huge difference and maybe it's just because I've drank more water during the day, but like when I start my morning and I have like, I notice so much more hunger when I don't do the potassium and maybe it's just in my head, but it really seems like it. 
Um, but the key is don't buy like the electrolyte supplements because they like upcharge so them yeah. and they don't have that mm. much in them. And you can actually buy, it's called like no salt and it's just straight potassium. And yeah, you can just it's like a that. salt substitute. It's so. so much cheaper than like trying to get the health electrolyte yeah. brand of the same mm. exact thing. <laughs> and interesting. Honestly, that's something that I've just been tracking lately is my potassium intake. It sounds funny, but um, the like r recommended daily allowance for potassium is like 4,700 milligrams. It's actually quite a bit of potassium. And um, I have been feeling better when I'm, when I try to meet that it's in, it's in, um, you know, it's, it's in a lot of different foods, but I know there's a lot in like sweet potatoes, bananas, um, mm -hmm. And then some other, I think so maybe some cruciferous vegetables. I think spinach has it, but. Um, Do meats have it? I think meat has a little bit of it too. Yeah. Cause um, yeah. But. Uh, I think, I think, I think meat actually has nearly every essential nutrient and vitamin that we need. I mean, if you look at, for example, like a, like a big, uh, big evidence against intake of carbs is like, if you look at the rate of disease in Inuits, right. In, in Inuit country, nothing grows especially not any carbs. They eat like seal blubber and that's it. And their rates of disease are like at all time lows. So I think like there's a lot of people like Paul Saladino, the, the carnivore MD, these guys who are like pure carnivore goblins that claim that everything that we need as humans is found in, in red meat. So I wouldn't be surprised if, if potassium isn't red meat. It's like, it's, it's interesting it that you, got, you guys say that um, it is, that you feel more satiated and less like, miserable and hungry when you have electrolytes in the pipes for the fasting, like I, I think about, um, you know, again, getting back to like what our ancestors would have been doing. Like, you know, we got, we have like shit to do. Like we have jobs and we have to keep our energy high. Like we have cognitive tasks to focus on. So like maybe the electrolytes are like the addition to the fasting that makes it more sustainable and reasonable to integrate into your daily life. Like under gather is definitely not supplementing with salt. Right. right? Or, 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 pota or potassium. They did say that some animals will go and lick, so certain, yeah. lick a rock or something. No, no, it's, uh, it's like the gallbladder in deer and, um, you know, some ruminant animals. Like it has an extreme amount of sodium and potassium. Certain, And I think Paul Saladino's actually talked about it. Um, yeah, certain organs of animals are really, really high in um, sodium and potassium. And then also, this isn't as much of like an ancestral view, but... Um, you know, I, I don't know how true this is, but in like ancient Egypt, you always hear that salt was like worth its weight in gold, right? That like salt was this really soft resource. And I think that's, I think that's part of it is you, you know, people could cross the desert without food or even much water maybe. And having that salt, you know, it helps retain the water in your body and stuff. And that animals will walk to go get lick minerals of the earth to get their micro. Yeah. Cause it occurs in, in, yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Like, like, like animal animals are just like lick rocks and whatever salty substance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's really interesting. <laughs> you know, you know, the, uh, the gallbladder thing is actually also interesting. Like, I wonder if like, we'll probably get into to feast and famine at some point. Like once you found the kill as, you know, a hunter gatherer, you would eat the animal from, from nose to tail, right. Including the gallbladder, which may have been, you know, jacked to the gills with potassium but you take in like a preposterous amount of potassium all at once, right? It's yeah. not routine 
small intake of potassium over time. And like, we have all these like recommended daily value of nutrients and vitamins, which realistically is probably not optimizing your performance of your health. Like if you eat an entire gallbladder, it's probably like 900 thousand times <laughs> yeah. your, your, your daily intake but that's probably that's probably better like again the body adjusts to that stress probably in a pretty decent way yeah so that's so that's something i me you and chris were talking about it where it's like i started to buy into a lot of these bodybuilder guys i was listening to where they're like oh it you need to have you know five protein feedings a day or three to three to five protein feedings a day to to optimize muscle protein synthesis but when you look at, and I looked at the research, it's all with like rats and whey protein and it, 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 all of it, but it's like, that's most of it. Right. And so I, I think about it again, like this evolutionary perspective where, you know, you, you know, you, you might be hunting an animal for two days, three days without, you know, and you're just running, maybe drink out of the river and you're, you're, you know, you're zoned in on catching this thing and then you get it and you eat, you know, 500 grams of protein with your tribe or whatever. Um, it's not like that, that I, I just feel like that, that can't be that much worse or that much different than five whey protein shakes throughout the day. You know, it, it just wouldn't make sense to me that like, uh, a whole food animal protein source takes a little bit longer to break down and, and assimilate into your muscles. But no, dude, I think that's, I think that's exactly right. Um, I also think like, you got to look at those, like, what are those bodybuilders optimizing for? They're optimizing to be as massive as humanly possible right. and as cut as humanly possible. Right. Like there's probably a divergence. Which is not healthy. No, exa- exactly. Yeah. That's exactly the problem. Like they're not optimizing necessarily for health. Like, you know, we know as a, as a fact, it's not um, ancestral or healthy to eat five little meals a day. That's, that's an experiment. Like that's yeah. an experiment that started like 10 years ago. Right, like the, the well, burden it's not of the, healthy to be five percent body fat, which is like what some no, of these people are trying to be. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Or for women, like twelve percent, like some of these women like lose their periods when they do these fitness things, which means they can't birth children. Like that's not what we want for our health, you know. Well, no, and, and no, you know, people not. will have you believe that, like, if you're doing OMAD or jammed up, you're saying. Yeah. So basically I was saying, you know, I, I look at, I look at people like you and, and there's this guy online, Thomas DeLauer, who he's really into, he's like, you know, 15 years on keto and he's into prolonged fasting, intermittent fasting. And he tries a lot of these, um, you know, maybe unorthodox to the, to the, you know, to the whole like food pyramid, five round meals a day. Right. He does kind of the opposite of that. Um, and the guy is in like incredible shape and, and, doesn't you know he doesn't take steroids or anything and so um and he you know he talks about the research there's some research about fasting and and keto and stuff but um he always talks about how it's like you know he trusts his personal experience with it and i think i think it's i think it's pretty valid i mean well yeah and he used to be like overweight yeah he yeah he's like he lost like 100 pounds but but i love the uh you know ancestral evolutionary perspective on things like you do so I, i think it's just really cool that Ragsdale health is, is, you know, that's kind of the foundation of it. I think that's wonderful. Um, I think it just, it just, it just helped. Like it's, it's, I think it just helps people to have like that operating principle that like you can just apply across the board. Like, and it goes way beyond health, right? Like, I don't know. Like we, we were talking earlier about how, um, 
like you guys are talking about how um, like anxiety and depression um, is such a problem in the developed world, right? And then I think if you look at something like the fact that it's disproportionately skewed towards young women, and then you're like, all right, well, why would anxiety and depression be disproportionately skewed towards young women? Think about the difference between women and men. Women are more inclined to be social, right? They had to be uh, concerned with what other people thought about them in the tribes. You know, the men were out hunting and the women were responsible for maintaining, you know, a social status in the tribes. So if you assume that, you know, women are more sensitive to what other people think about, you know, managing perception, and then you throw in, you know, the hyper socialization of social media into the mix, like you have your tribal architecture and then here's social media, which multiplies that times a hundred thousand. Like if you look at primal principles, your genes are not equipped for that. So like stage one and two, to if you're anxious or depressed, start exercising and unplug from social media and then see where that leads you. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, how do you motivate your clients, whether it be, you know, on their, their diet or their exercise routine? Uh, that's a good one. Um, I think like, you know, what I generally do is I try to encourage, um, them to visualize a future state in which their quality of life is much higher than this today. And it's pretty much guaranteed to be right. Like you can, it's scary to tell people like about all the downsides of exercising and loss can be sometimes a bigger motivator than gain. Um, but I tend to find it more sustainable and healthy to be like, look, I mean, especially, so for example, if they're older, right? Like people are like, ah, oh, okay, you know, I really, you know, I don't think I should be doing muscle building. Like I'm pretty brittle. And then you make the argument, well, if you don't, you know, expose your body to weights, you're going to have trouble maintaining bone density. Um, and bone density is critical to like maintaining youthfulness and agility into old age. And that allows you to spend more time with your loved ones. So like when you phrase it like that, like if you do this thing, you're going to have more high quality years with your loved ones. That's like a pretty appealing pitch um, across the board. Um, another tricky thing, which I'm sure we will, um, you know, foray for into shortly is like people get intimidated by the gym. They get intimidated by working out. And we've talked a little bit about how, you know, the dizzying array of information can be synthesized by like a very simple operating principle. Um, but I think another thing is like, you're intimidated because you think people are judging you, right? People are like, oh, look at this moron amateur starting their time in the gym. But like, think about, you know, how obsessed we all are, like with our own day to day and our own insecurities. And we're inside our own heads all day. Like, do you notice the guy at the gas station who like dropped the nozzle or like the guy at the gym who like went for the 15 pound weight instead of the 20? Like, no, we're like obsessed with ourselves. We have a spotlight on ourselves all the time. Literally no one cares about you, which can be kind of freeing in a way. Like if you're in the gym, um, no one's paying attention to you. Like, dude, just, just do your thing and, and, and grind. And on top of that, like, I, like, I'm, I wonder if you guys feel similarly, like, I feel like the people in like the realm of activity, people are like getting after exercising, doing diet, like they want everyone in here. Like they want the whole, whole world in here and, in, you know, in their, in their, in their cave of gains. It's not like a zero sum game. We're not out here to say like, I can make gains and I'm going to take the gains away from you. It's like, yeah. we all, all want to lift each other. We want, we want everyone to be happier and 
spend more time with their loved ones, have high quality of life. So I think when you put it into perspective that it's all upside and everyone, everyone who's ever learned anything and mastered anything looked like a fool at the beginning. It's part of the process of getting better. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. I love what you said about, um, not like we get in our head that everyone's watching us at the gym, but really everyone's like looking in the mirror, looking at themselves yeah, or totally. everyone's thinking about, Oh my God, do people see me just do that? Like there's so exactly. themselves. Exactly. Um, and I, a lot of like girls I know they're like, I'm scared. Cause I don't know how to like work the machines and stuff. And I'm like, I remind them like, there are so many men in there that like would love the opportunity to mansplain you how to work that machine and show you how, like, do not be worried of looking stupid or asking questions because they love that. <laughs> that's, that's, that's actually so funny. I, that reminds me yesterday. I saw, um, there was a post on Twitter, like some like pretty attractive girl who has a pretty big following on Twitter, like put up a, like a Twitter post, like, or, 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 or put in their, in their Tinder profile that like, I just need someone to explain Bitcoin to me. And then just like, her inbox just gets flooded with dudes <laughs> trying to manage playing Bitcoin. <laughs> that's, awesome. oh, that's great. <laughs> that's so good. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I love, I love how you phrase that with the, with, you know, Jim. I, I, well, I really like the, the visualization of a future state with higher quality life. I think is how you put it. I mean, that's just, yeah, it's really well said. Um, Oh, something that we haven't touched on that much. Um, so we kind of touched on sleep and, and fasting, which were two of the sunrise chats. And so for anybody who's listening, um, if you follow TJ on Instagram, it's Ragsdale Health. We'll, we'll put the link in the description, but he does these sunrise chats that are, um, you know, five to 10 minute talks um, about a, a subject that uh, can, you know, subject around health and, and ways to improve uh, your life. So he's done one on sleep. He's done one on fasting. We talked about that. Now, what about the cold and heat exposure? I think that one, or uh, I think that one is probably even uh, there's probably less awareness around that even than the sleep and the fasting. Um, yeah, so. no, de definitely, definitely the hottest take in the in the <laughs> in the mix. Um, yeah, no, I think I think you're right. Like fasting is entering the vernacular, but yeah. it's still like pretty young. Cold and heat exposure is like a, an infant in comparison. Yeah. Um, but I think it's, it's, it's the same kind of idea. Um, I don't know if you guys have heard of, uh, of Wim Hof. You heard of Wim Hof, the Iceman? Yeah, he's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, the Iceman's philosophy, which I think is good and it, and it fits into this sort of like ancestral operating principle is, you know, our bodies were, um, they were equipped for insane environmental stress. Um, you know, when the winter would come around, you know, you're not hopping into your climate controlled home, you know, with hot water and like a nice big, um, down coat, right? Like a lot of the time you're exposing yourself to frigid temperatures or, you know, if you're a hunter gatherer in the Sahara, you're dealing with 110 degrees Fahrenheit for like a hundred days straight. And so we don't expose ourselves to those extremes anymore. We live in a narrow temperature band. The reality of the situation is when you live in that narrow temperature brand, when you exclude the extremes, um, there are cells in the body uh, that are there to equip you for those extremes that will actually, they're not being used. They're just going to disappear. And so like a key place where that is present is like your cardiovascular system. Like it's going to get less efficient if you don't expose it to stressors. 
there will be like, there'll be capillaries or vessels, or again, this is a subject I don't know enough about, but that will erode, that will no longer, you know, need to play a role. So what cold exposure can do is it can ensure that, um, you know, the body is being exposed to those extremes. It's rebuilding those connections that would have atrophied by virtue of kind of like, you know, the moderation, uh, the temperateness uh, of society. Um, I also think like, you know, cold exposure, like cold showers have sort of entered the vernacular. Um, like it's a fantastic, tangible way you can work on your discipline. Like if you feel like lost and you're at the winds of like, you know, short-term pleasures and you're like, I really want to just get grounded and get back on the right track. If you can start your day off, especially in the winter when it's cold as shit, like it was 25 degrees this morning. I got up, I hopped in the cold shower. You start your day off with like a, with like a, a challenge like that. Like you're good to go. You can defeat that. You can defeat that day, you know? Um, also like, again, getting back to the anxiety and depression, I think this is more of a, of a hot take of mine, but like, at its core, I think anxiety is, you know, a constant barrage of intrusive thoughts that you can't escape. And whether those are coming from like, you know, a place of social perception or somewhere else, like it's a fundamental lack of presence. You're somewhere else. You're thinking about something else instead of being here in this activity. If you jump into a cold lake, you're not thinking about shit. You're surviving. You're right there in that lake, you know, fighting, fighting to stay warm. You're, you're boom. You're just there. And it's really pretty incredible. And even there's an afterglow. It's kind of, it's kind of like the afterglow of like, of like an LSD. Like that experience isn't just relevant in that moment. It carries with you into that day. If you're starting your day off with a cold plunge, um, you know, it can really transform your shit. It's painful. You know, it's, it's painful. It's tough. It takes grit, but you're going to be so thrilled and proud of yourself if you can put yourself through it. Oh man. I do think there is some data that, um, I think it was on a episode of Joe Rogan and Rhonda Patrick that they've seen some, um, things that look promising that it does help with like depression, anxiety, like cold showers, hot oh, yeah. showers. And I notice a huge difference. I take like a hot bath. Um, so hot that it's like almost uncomfortable and it like makes me breathe deeper and slower. And it just, I, it just, it really does reset my whole mindset. Mm. Um, yeah. so I love that. Like, implementing these things that are just so easy to implement but they do take discipline obviously um and they don't cost any money for anyone yeah Yeah, that that is a good point super simple cheap stuff like there's a difference between um simple and easy like a cold plunge is is not easy but it's very simple you just gotta walk you gotta walk your feet into you know the cold shower (laughs) but it's like up up here it's as difficult as it gets but you're right like these are things that are so impactful but so cheap just like fast yeah i mean i can't agree more with what you said about the uh the cold showers and wearing it because i've so I remember in college you doing this and everybody thinking like, dude, TJ's so crazy with his discipline stuff and the cold showers. So that must have been like six or seven years ago when I remember yeah, you doing geez. the cold showers. Um, and I, I remember I reached out to you recently because around around my birthday. So it's almost been four months now I've been doing the cold showers. I've taken a couple hot ones to help when I shave, you know, just because the, the hair. Yeah. Up. 
But I, I've started to look forward to the cold showers, man, because I mean, I just couldn't agree more with all the ways you put it. And, you know, I, I did try to look into research and yeah, there's some stuff out there, but like, I always tell people for me, it's so much of it just, it's, it's the quickest, like instant cure to a, a feeling of depression or something. I mean, I love the way you put it. Cause it, it, it forces you to be grounded. I mean, you know, I can sit there and meditate for 20 minutes and my mind is gonna, it's going to wander. Right. And that's part of it, but I can, my mind can't wander in a, in a freezing cold shower. And now that the yeah. weather's done, you know, I, I, so for the past few months, I was like, oh, I'm doing the cold showers and I got this. But once the temperature dropped, that, that water's way colder than it has been, you know? And, yeah, uh, yeah. So it's tough, man. I, but, uh, but it, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. It's like, like if you can, you know, I, I kind of have a mantra where I, where I go in there, I'm like, it's not going to hurt me. It's not going to hurt me. And I just walk in there and I, it definitely makes a difference to me throughout the day. You know, it's like, maybe I'm afraid to try to make a certain pitch at work or I'm, a, you know, I'm, I'm hesitating to call somebody about this or communicate a certain point. And, um, having done that in the morning makes a huge difference. So I, yeah, I, I'm a, I'm a big, big proponent. And now I kind of look forward to them, honestly, you know, um, after like, I'm really into skateboarding and I'll skate for an hour and my, my heart rate gets jacked up my body temperature. I'm sweating. I'm sweating. Then I hop in that cold shower and it's just, it, it, it's honestly, I would also compare it to, you know, a, uh, a, a psychedelic or it's, it feels like a drug, you know, it does. It, 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 yeah. Yeah. But also on that, um, like the, the cold shower can be incredibly intimidating because it's like, I mean, it's kind of like exercise, right? Like we have like this socializing and work domain over here and then you got exercise over here, right? Whereas you have your normal life over here and then you have like, cold shower, cold exposure time over here. It's like this, like this separation of domains. Whereas like, I think another, maybe like more approachable way um, for people that, I don't know, they don't necessarily have the grit top in a cold shower during the winter is like break down the barriers between these like separate states. So like, if you're going out for a walk, you know, it's 45 degrees out, like leave the jacket at home, pop some shorts on, right? Go for a 45 minute walk, see how you do. Like just integrate these health principles like into your daily life, like more casually over time. It's like, you know, like weaning off a drug. Like you don't just go cold turkey because then, you know, your your body it goes into spasms. You, you do it slowly. Um, one more interesting thing about the cold shower, like you mentioned um, as it got colder, you're like, oh, damn, like this is brutal doing this now. <laughs> like in the, in the summer, you're like, I could do cold showers for the rest of my life. This is light work. <laughs> and the winter comes around, you get up, the sun's not even up, and you got to go get in the cold shower. You're like, Jesus Christ. Yeah, but I find, I find something fascinating happens when, uh, like this morning, my mind almost tricked me to take a hot shower. And it came up with all of these fascinating explanations and justifications <laughs> yes. for why for why I shouldn't be taking the cold shower just this morning. It's not that I'm weak. It's all of this. It's all of these circumstantial things. This is why you should take a hot shower this morning. And I looked at myself in the mirror and I was like, this is an incredible thing. My mind is creating these wild justifications for getting out of a hard behavior. And then you just tell yourself not to be frail and you get in that shower. But you realize that when you force yourself to do shit like that, the, the mind is constantly working in the background to protect the ego and evade responsibility. And you got to step into that position of just grinding right through it and realizing when your mind is protecting your ego. Wow. Yeah. 
that is uh, that's profound man I yeah <laughs> yeah I think it's super interesting because a lot of the things you're talking about you know implementing cold showers fasting if you go and tell your grandma this she's like you know, if you walk out of the house wearing shorts in the winter, yeah. she's like, get a jacket on. You're going to catch a cold. Yeah, and, like, yeah, yeah. and like, I told my grandma about fasting and she was just like skipping breakfast. That's so bad for you. <laughs> and like people that have never tried any of these things will tell you a million reasons why it's horrible for you. Like when Sam was on the carnivore diet, um, he has had people that are overweight, don't step into the gym, don't eat <laughs> yeah. healthy, probably oh, donuts man. for breakfast. Tell him that him doing a steak diet is so unhealthy and horrible and he should not do it. And it's like, yeah. wait, you're giving him health and then advice? I lost like 40 pounds and they're still... And so, so it is Somebody. crazy that yes. like without even trying to do it, just someone talking about it, us as humans can make 50 reasons why... I should never try that. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's funny. Yeah. Right? Someone at work, you know, there was a point where I was really into the monster energy drinks, which I'm not saying are healthy by any means or, you know, but I was having like four of these drinks a day, which is like 1200 milligrams of caffeine or no 800 milligrams of caffeine. It's a lot of caffeine. Right. And, um, but I was having this, this person at work tell me, you know, Oh my God, you're, you're drinking way too many. I'm worried you're going to overdose on caffeine. That's a thing, you know? And they're eating chips and Snickers bars every day, you know, and they're telling me, Oh, I'm worried you're going to drink. You're going to die from too much caffeine. It's like, man, it's hard for me to kind of just, you know, that's when the stoicism comes in. It's like, okay. <laughs> All right. Um, but yeah. And smoking cigarettes too. Right. Oh yeah. And then, you know, people who are just massive binge drinkers and doing other substances were, were telling me, Hey man, that vape is going to kill you, man. Do you, do you <laughs> All right. Man. Again, I know it's not good for me, but, um, <laughs> well, it, you know, it also like it, 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 uh, like you using someone's like physical look as like a heuristic for their domain expertise. Like when I, I went in for hernia surgery about two years ago, which by the way, I, I also regret getting surgery, but I went in there and the first doctor to see me, he was obese. You know, and I was like, I, I respect that you went through all these years of medical school, but like, what about your training led you to believe that you being this weight is acceptable? Yeah. Now, now you're giving me medical advice. Like, it just, it just seems very odd to be. Yeah. Doing why so. are you, why do you um, regret getting hernia surgery? Is there a way to even handle that naturally? Well, again, I'm super cynical, um, but I feel like with something like hernia surgery, like it's, it's teetering on the border of elective surgery, right? Like if you have a hernia and, you know, the intestine has dipped through the abdominal wall, for sure, the only way you're going to back out of that is surgery. But, you know, I look at the incentives and the vested interests of the medical industry and my cynical mind takes me all the way back to the beginning. And, you know, if I was looking at my um, MRI or my scan, I wouldn't know what a hernia looked like. If there was a small bulge, they could have attributed it to being a hernia and then demanded that I need surgery. And then I get the surgery and everyone in the process is, you know, 50 grand richer and I'm 50 grand poorer. What I would have preferred to do and kind of what I like 
try to um, encourage clients to do is like work balls out on preventative so you don't ever, ever have to enter the medical establishment where the incentives are all screwed anyway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the carnivore doctor, what's his name? Sean Baker. Sean Baker. He used to give back surgeries and oh, yeah. he started implementing, you know, healthy food. I think it was joints, like knees and stuff mainly. Oh, okay. Knee yeah. surgery. Um, he started implementing like healthy food, exercise, and a lot of these things. Um, and being an actual good doctor with like accountability and like, um, when someone had issues, he'd implement those things. And a lot of times they wouldn't need the surgery anymore. And so he got punished for that because what he was doing was like losing money. He got kind of blackballed and he would actually, he was putting people on ketogenic diets. Um, and the hospital started making less money and he got kind of blackballed for it. And you know, I want to say, you know, about the, about the ketogenic diets, like it's, uh, it's such a good way where you don't have to track your food and weigh out your food. And, you know, it's, it's a natural appetite suppressant, I think is part of the reason that it works so well for people. And, you know, our modern food environment is so filled with, with foods that are low in protein and high in fats and carbs and and processed and, you know, extremely palatable and stuff. And that's, it's that to me is so much more of the, that, that to me is the issue, right? It's like, yes, people are eating too many calories, you know, like, yes, people, you can eat carbs, you can eat fruit, you can eat meat and lose weight. It doesn't really matter. But just that our food environment is full of these calorically dense foods that are hyper palatable and available at any time, right? You could drive through McDonald's, pick up a meal of 3000 calories and eat it in five minutes, you know? Um, yeah, I think that the ketogenic diet does a good way of kind of self-regulating. Like that's, I think that's why you like it. I mean, you used to do kind of like a bodybuilding style diet, right? Like chicken, rice, and broccoli and five meals throughout the day, but now it's much more intuitive. Yeah. It's just much more intuitive. Um, and I think that's kind of what Sean Baker experienced is like he introduced people to this and they immediately began to shed body fat and the health markers improved and they didn't need knee surgery. Right. And it's, that's why I can seem magical to some people is because it's so natural to, you know, uh, eat, eat the right amount when you're, when you're not eating carbs. Um, yeah, I think, I think keto, I mean, keto has largely been, I think a fantastic development for people. Um, like the success of keto sort of brings, at least brings me back to the idea of having, you know, operating principles that you're working with but then you test them out in your real life. And if they work for you, you keep doing them. Like, you know, let's say you take two opposing health views. One that um, calories in, calories out dictates everything, right? It's the law of thermodynamics. You're going to lose weight. If you eat less than your maintenance, you're going to gain weight. If you eat more than your maintenance, you got that over here. And then you have over here is the idea that all calories are not created equal, right? So for the keto diet, you're skewing towards proteins and fats. But let's just say that, you know, eating 3000 calories of proteins and fats allows you to maintain your weight and eating 3000 calories where you skew towards carbs makes you put on weight, right? If you hold those two opposing views in your mind and you test both on your body, you'll know which one's correct very quickly. Mm -hmm. So for example, like it's been for, for 50 years, 
law of thermodynamics, calories in, calories out has been the dogma. But you're seeing all these people eat the same amount in calories, but skew towards ketogenic foods, lose weight. So what's going on there? Right. Right. Yeah. There's something to it for sure. And like, I don't know, just for me, I think for in the long term, like doing a, a low carb approach is, you know, I like right now I eat on some days I eat higher carbs with, when I'm when I'm lifting. Um, but I think in the long term, like weighing out 75 grams of rice, you know, and spiking my insulin and then being so hungry, it's like not really that sustainable. Um, no. If I'm being honest. Like, yeah, it has to do with what best fits your lifestyle too and your goals. So like when I was training for Miss Illinois, I did the six meals a day. I was working out twice a day. I like, was always hungry. I got down to like 12% body fat. I was 115 pounds and I was super, was jacked, dude. I was super shredded. <laughs> I was super shredded and like jacked but not like gross jacked like miss illinois stage like sexy jacked <laughs> and um but i like because i don't have that goal now like i and my boyfriend finds me beautiful at like 20 percent body fat you know i don't i'm not going to get up on stage in a bikini in front of people and i also back then i had like a completely different work schedule i wasn't working like a full-time job um, where I was like sitting behind a computer from eight to six every day. And so now just eating two meals a day, keto, like, and not having to like freak out if I miss my workout, like just works better for my lifestyle right now. Yeah. Yeah. And so it does like have to do with like what fits for you as well, I think, and what you can stick to. I mean, it also sounds like for you, like you maintain, and this is the trick, right? Like it sounds like you maintain a healthy lifestyle pretty much around the clock. So like what you're saying is if you miss, like if you fuck up on one meal or you miss one workout, you know, you're going to wake up the next day and still be healthy as fuck. Right. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to constantly be monitoring everything. Like you can like lean into like the randomness of life a little bit and enjoy your human experience and not have to worry because you've done all this legwork. You, you're, you're getting constant legwork. You're constantly doing the right things. So it's not such a big deal. Um, you know, if you, if you screw yeah. up one time, you got, you got, you got this massive health surplus. Uh, yeah. in the bank. I think that's really well said. And, and I saw you made a, you made a video about it too. It's like, people will have like a cheat meal or they'll binge on 2000 calories, which I do. I have a huge problem with. And then the next day they'll go, I have to do four hours of cardio to burn it all off. Right. Um, and in reality, it's like, if you're on a program that's supporting, you know, muscle mass, the next day you go in the gym, you could freaking hit a PR and, you know, and really provide some strong stimulus to, to the muscle. And, um, and, and, you know, over the long term it's not going to make a big deal, right? You don't have to, you know, think about, okay, well, I better burn 10,000 calories on my, you know, five hour swim. I mean, um, so I, yeah, I, I love that. That's just like, if you're living like a healthy life and you have the healthy habits in place, you don't have to be so, um, you know, I don't know, like nitpicky about it. Um, no, no, it doesn't But it is hard if you live with people, like if I lived with my parents right now and they were like eating bad and bringing home pizza, that would be so hard. So I do really feel for people that 
you know, they don't have a partner that's like necessarily on the same wavelength and stuff. So I think there's a lot to like also surrounding yourself with people that kind of have similar goals and can help you. hundred percent, hundred percent. It's much easier when um, someone's on your wavelength, especially when it comes to health and fitness. Like we were just saying that, you know, whatever dudes at your work were like trying to tear you down for doing the right thing. Like oftentimes when people like are attacking things you're doing right, it's just, it's because it highlights their deficits. Right. And so like, yeah, of course, like when you're with your folks and they're eating what they would normally eat and you're doing your thing, like they're going to be like, ah, oh, what are you doing? Like your, your grandma, like, you know, you know, your grandma had no malintent. She was like, you can't fast. You can't skip breakfast. Cause that's not what she's used to. I think usually the form it takes is people will criticize all the weird healthy shit you're doing because they don't want to admit that, you know, their lifestyle is unsustainable and, and, and pretty rancid. Usually when people are trying to tear you down, it means you're on the right track. Yeah, that's, oh man. Yeah. That's really well said. Um, well, cool. I, I don't have any other questions. Do you have any uh, closing remarks? Closing remarks. I don't know if I do. This has been uh <laughs> This has been super fun. Um, you know, I'm sort of hold hold out up here, sort of like a like a throw up in the woods. This is my only my only interaction of the week. <laughs> well, um, man, you gave us you gave us some great gems. So um, you know, maybe all the introspection is serving you well. Yeah, man. Maybe so. Maybe so. It so was, uh, <laughs> fantastic. Um, where where can people find you online? Uh, so Ragsdale Health is my Instagram. Um, that's kind of where I post, um, you know, all my health and fitness stuff. It kind of embodies the philosophy. Um, but other if than someone that, someone wants to hire you as their trainer, what do they do? Instagram DM you or. Yeah, you can Instagram DM me. Um, and then I will send through sort of a, a scope of my practice. Um, you know, we'll do a consult and, and go from there. Um, but yeah, best way to reach me is on, on Instagram. Take a, take a look at some of the videos, make sure the philosophy suits you. Is uh, you know cold heat exposure and fasting is not for everyone, but uh, <laughs> you can integrate it. It'll uh, it'll upgrade your life uh, yeah. a few levels. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for uh, for joining us. Thanks for your time, TJ. And uh, yeah, man, we'll talk to you later. All right, guys. Thanks so much for the thoughtful questions. It was uh, it's good to meet you, Sean. Yeah, it's great to, great to finally meet you face to face and not just creep on your Instagram. <laughs> Well, feel, feel free to do that, though. Feel free to do that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Teach. Have a good one. Bye. All right, guys. See you later. Adios. Adios.